Welcome to AdvisorTech Unplugged, the monthly podcast brought to you by MoneyInfo, the client portal and mobile app supplier for financial advisors and wealth managers. This podcast is designed to help address the challenges of the 21st century advisor. Each month, we invite a special guest to talk to us about current topics affecting their area of expertise in the advisor tech space. If you have any suggestions for future episodes or general feedback, get in touch with us by email at support at moneyinfo.com or tweet us at moneyinfotech. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Advisor Tech Unplugged. And today I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Dr. Emma Black. Emma is the co-founder and CEO of Cascade Cash Management, a whole of market savings service that provides independent cash solutions for a range of client types. Emma's an expert in the savings market and was named Cash Management Warner of the Year in 2020 and Startup Entrepreneur of the Year at the 2020 Great British Entrepreneur Awards. She has a PhD in behavioural finance and mergers and acquisitions. And it's great to have you on board this morning, Emma. How are you doing? Doing very well, thank you. What a fantastic introduction. It's a very nice bio. I do like that. <laughs> Awards, a PhD, you know, brilliant. Um, so um, I guess to start us off, to kick us off today, it'd be good to hear a little bit about you, about Cascade Cash Management and where how you got to kind of where you are today. Absolutely. It's one of my most favourite stories to tell. <laughs> we, we started around 10 years ago now, um, and there was a, a team of four of us that had set up independently, each with different skill sets. So two of the team had been in wealth management at the private banks. One of the team was ex-hedge fund, and there was myself who was corporate finance and m and um, And at the time, I was still doing my PhD and had a big interest in terms of decision making and why we make the choices that we make. We set up an independent wealth management company, and we had four parts to that proposition. One part was looking at savings. The second part was looking at a DFM, an investment management proposition built on a very cost-effective core um, with satellite positions and holdings elsewhere. The third part was direct lending, which was coming into being very popular at the time. Um, and then we had the fourth element, which was estate planning. A number of our clients were um, elderly or were in later life and they were thinking about passing on their wealth to the next generation. We built out the proposition and we had great traction in the first instance within the cash space. We seen that while we were um, acquiring our regulatory permissions, we seen that as a way that we could build relationships with people. People would often start in cash and in investment and finishing cash and they would come in and out. Mm-hmm. And we thought if we could get that cash working really hard, that would allow us to build a relationship with the end client, um, understand them a bit better and then get a holistic approach to looking at their overall proposition. Within around 15 months, we had administered 370 million of cash under administration. We hadn't marketed, it had all been word of mouth and referral. And we thought actually this is a a business within a business really. Mm. Um, At the time, the two um, co-founders of mine who came from the wealth management background, they had a bank of clients that they'd accumulated over the, the previous kind of 10 years. I was joining at a point where I didn't have any clients, didn't have any um, track record really, um, and didn't really have a track record of the company either because the company was new. 
So I had went through a period of trying to think about how we could win new direct customers and being young at the time as well, it was quite hard to try to do that. Mm. So I changed approach and thought, what about if I reach out and speak to financial advisors? So I thought that I had something that would be worthwhile for them to consider as part of their proposition. Um, I understood that they would have clients that trusted them. And I would have, have kind of got over the first hurdle for being able to get in front of the target people that we could help to make the, the cash work harder. The company started out of Newcastle upon Tyne. My accent betrays me. Oh, I just give you away a little bit. A little bit. Say, where are you from, Emma? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's a very small pool up there. So everybody knows everybody else. And on the advisory side, we had a number of advisors reaching out and asking, could we have access to the data set? Could we have access to see, you know, what we could get our, our clients and our customers in cash? Um, and we, we willingly gave that away. Um, we then realised by 2014 that really this was very much a business within a business. This was very much something that we could operate independent to the wealth management company um, and something that would add value to a number of advisory propositions up and down the country. In 2015, we formulated the spin-off of the service and it was standalone company. Um, at this point, we'd already been running the service for about three and a half years. So we'd already demonstrated traction and we demonstrated that it was a value to people. And we'd built out an Excel VBA that we then translated into an online um, .NET Azure platform. Um, that took us around a year in, in, to, to build and to make sure that was at the standards that we wanted. We then launched that late 2016, early 2017. Um, and then we came up with our next idea, which was that, um, you know, the proposition that we'd seen was that, you know, a lot of people were looking for great savings rates. We were thinking about how could we create better savings rates at the time. It was record low interest rates. Um, we'd worked with a, a couple of banks in terms of being able to deliver some better interest rates based on some of the direct lending refinancing with those banks that we'd done in the, the original wealth management company. And we thought around how could we bring the savings and the loans together. Um, we came up with something in a very non-banker way. We came up with something of what wouldn't it be fantastic if we could connect the saver with the borrower and we could connect those into meaningful projects in the regions where, you know, you could look at regeneration and bring in buildings back to life and repurposing them. Um, and obviously in the, the midst of that, have a very healthy net interest margin too. That then gave birth to a banking project and we started a new bank um, and we began that journey in January 2017. Five and a half years later um, and a lot of um, blood, sweat and tears, we received the licence in October 2021. Uh, the bank is expected to um, come out of mobilisation in the next 90 days um, in the summer of 22 and very much looking forward to, to getting that going. Um, never through stops, that, this entrepreneurial journey never stops does it Once I know you've got, you're never it, short of ideas that's great and very much so what we wanted to do was to keep building things that were of value and of use mm. to the, the end user um, and one of the things that we've observed over the years is that often financial services is driven by the issuer's needs and the issuer's products um, rather than by the customer's demands and the customer's needs. Yeah. 
we think about savings and we think about, you know, why do people save? People save for the wedding, they save for, you know, buying the first home or extending the house or for rainy days or, you know, whatever it might be. And yet the market isn't structured in that way at all. It's mm-hmm. structured in language that relates to the liquidity positions of banks, 90 day notice products, one year fixed term products. Um, so it's, it's very much geared by products that are generated to allow a bank to deliver a return for its investors by lending that money out to its borrowers. Um, and what we wanted to do was to look at creating and innovating solutions that actually fit the saver's purpose and the saver's end need. Um, as part of the banking license application, the regulator challenged us to say, were we going to be within the bank? Were we going to be separated to the bank? And that was a, a difficult decision, really, because we could mm. see value on both sides. But we took the decision that Cascade should remain a standalone. We think that we have huge value in not being linked to any one bank and getting people the very best rates on the market and a very independent um, you know, basis. And, and that was something that we'd designed from 2012 um, under RDR, and we wanted to continue to do that um, mm. right the way through. Um, that coincided with record low interest rates again yeah. in March <laughs> um, when the, the base rate was cut on an emergency basis with the pandemic. Um, And now, as we are in 2022, we're now into the first time in our history, rising interest rates where they're expected to to go to, you know, not record highs because they're, you know, they've been at record lows, really, but they're expected to go back to a historical norm. Um, Mm. You know, the the market is kind of pricing two and a half percent at the moment and and pricing that in. And there's others that are saying that they're they're going to be getting up to the the three, four percent, which is what we would have seen historically from the Bank of England. So. So we've been on a, a big journey. We've been on a long journey. We've, um, you know, been able to get a great amount of insight into different users, be they those savers, borrowers, advisors, issuers, um, you know, and all of the challenges that they're facing. We feel that we're in a unique position to create technology and create products that that actually match the end user's outcome um, in in their objective. So it's been a, a great journey and um, and one that that has a lot a lot of story behind it. It's fantastic. And I love that story. I love the kind of innovation and the entrepreneurial nature of the business that you can see flowing through 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 that story. And, you know, you've, you've been around since 2012, I think it was when you first first launched. How have you seen kind of financial services and, and I guess customers as well? How have you seen things changing over that 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 10, 10 year journey you've been on? Absolutely. It's changed so much over that journey. We joined the the sector really as an independent wealth management company at a time of great change at the time, which was the RDR, Mm. the the, um, rollout of RDR and, you know, the the changes that were taking place there in terms of remuneration and and how the industry was set up. And we set up in a very transparent way. So we, we didn't really endure that change because we we joined at a point of change exactly yeah Um, so so it was fantastic for us and all of the key principles behind rdr at the time of making sure things were transparent and easy to understand and there was clarity of of information for end users that was something that we could embed within our proposition from day one Um, whereas at the time we were speaking with advisors who were going through a, a great amount of change in order to make those adjustments and particularly on the qualification side of things as well 
Um, so that was the, we, we kind of joined the industry with change in the, the first instance. Um, in 2012, the, the market was still very much in the aftermath of the credit crisis. Mm. We were seeing some of the new regulatory frameworks coming through at that point, and particularly for us on the banking landscape, we've seen a number of the, the, um, the various different practices around, you know, capital requirements and, um, and the, the, mergers and acquisition activity that had taken place that had led to a great consolidation of, of options within the market. We were seeing that um, you know, spreading out over time um, and we were starting to see a, a new era coming through. Um, what we've endured throughout has been record low interest rates, which actually has given, given birth to um, something that historically doesn't really make sense in that we've had debt very, very cheap. Credit has been very, very easy to get, yeah. um, which has led to an imbalance in, in a number of households and a number of businesses. Um, the market has been very liquid and, and access to that credit has been has been very cheap. Um, and, and that's given birth to a huge amount of innovation, um, like you've mentioned there. Um, you know, because we've had a number of startups that have been able to to get access to credit and have been able to innovate and come up with new ideas. And, and some of those ideas have been genuinely brand new, in which case, you know, we would consider that more an invention side of things. And, and some of those things have been more innovation, which, mm. which we would think were more innovation, which is just taking some great practices from different industries and bringing them into, into ours. And what we've seen is, is, you know, we started to see new providers entering the market and um, those providers that were entering the market might have been spin-offs from the big banks or the likes of your TSBs. Um, we also then had the digital only banks coming through, the Atoms, followed by yeah. the Monroes and the Starlings. Um, and then you also had some of your non-bank brands that had previously been joint ventures with the big banks. So the likes of um, Tesco Money that had been a joint venture with, I think it was RBS. Um, they later became Tesco Bank as the regulator started to, to try to increase competition within the savings space. Um, and then finally, you started to see the specialist lenders coming through where you had the secure trust banks, the Aldermore banks, um, and the like, where they were focused on specific niche lending segments that were very focused, very profitable, um, and they started to, to deliver some competitive rates, um, albeit historically still very low for cash and savings earnings, but very competitive in the climate. Mm. Um, did you see, I mean, that's quite interesting that, you know, that the access then to that finance and the choice that that gave consumers those changes that we've seen have you seen that kind of changing I guess customer behaviors as well in that they've got more choice they've got more access they are perhaps more aware of you know what what could be possible with with their finances have you seen that that shift as well with the consumer Absolutely. as well as the yeah, um, it's it's been something that you know if you if you think about the role of the financial advisor back in kind of the seventies, the eighties, and, and to an extent the nineties, the client would come with little knowledge of the providers, little knowledge around yeah. what products were available, and um, you know, and they would speak to the advisor for their expertise. What's interesting is that I think over the course of the last fifteen to twenty years, with the emergence of the internet, with the emergence of Google, and being able to Google everything, mm. um, 
customers come to you knowing what they want, having probably already researched yourself, having probably already researched your rivals and your competitors. So they're already along that that kind of journey around deciding what's the best thing for them. Yeah. What's interesting is that the advisor then becomes a translator. And the advisor then is able to say, okay, so you found all this information, but what is actually relevant for you and why is it relevant? And the advisor gets to translate that information now to say, well, you know, yes, that's right. And you've, you've learned this and you've found that, but actually what this means for you is this. Yeah. And he has, he has a few different options that you can, that you can see. So customers are a lot more informed However, I do think that there's still a huge gap within the market because what you've seen is that back in the 70s, 80s and 90s, because it wasn't easy to get information around different providers, people would very much bank with their, the same bank that their parents had banked with. Um, the, the current account market was extremely competitive because if you won the current account, then you would win the rest of the relationships in terms yeah. of and credit cards and insurance and what we now see is that people today are multi-banked they're comfortable being multi-banked um you know the they often have a different credit card provider to the mortgage to their current account to their savings accounts they might not know all of the providers that are there um but they're comfortable with the likes of a go compare or, or whatever it might be and mm. but what's interesting is that the impact that that has then had is that from the bank's perspective, because the bank isn't capturing the cash relationship that then generates a return from the additional add-ons, it's a very competitive landscape where banks then are having to, to look at, you know, legacy infrastructure, very costly operations, um, you know, with bank branches, et cetera. And they're closing the bank branches and we're starting to see, you know, ATMs, you know, closing down as well. Um, mm. You know, and people are looking at digital money and they're looking at, at Apple Pays and, and so on. But you still, at the end of the day, have an end user of the financial services system that still doesn't have any more knowledge today than they did in, in 1980, they still haven't heard of every single provider. Yeah. They might be able to go on and find, you know, a, a different options on mortgages, but they don't necessarily know the difference or the impact for them between a fixed rate mortgage or a variable rate. Um, and same on the saving side, you know, they might be able to get an idea of around different products and different rates that are there. But, you know, the, the shopping around aspect is something that, at the moment, people are are very much kind of left on their own. Yeah, um, it's it's too costly for the banks to do it. Um, the customers don't necessarily have that expertise or knowledge to be able to do it entirely on their own. And I do think that there's a gap in the market for um, for something coming through, almost like an Apple or an Amazon, that is is very much based around consumer needs, but serves as a marketplace for all of the, the different providers to feed into. So if you need to speak about your mortgage, you've got the option to speak to somebody. Um, and yeah. if you need to speak about savings, you've got the option to do that. 
that. Um, but then you get access to the to the whole market in doing so. Um, and, and obviously that that's a fantastic dream. And that's something that I think in years ahead will evolve at some point. I think it's mm -hmm. needed for people to, to get the best outcomes from their finances. Um, but we seem to be at the moment in a in an in-between stage of you know it's not like it used to be people are multi-banking to an extent but they're not multi-banking multi enough to be out of consumer harm yeah so yeah. so we're kind of in, a, in an interim phase and you know the the onus is on um you know the the innovators the likes of, of ourselves really to to come forward to be looking at what solutions can can you build out and and do but naturally it, it's not cheap to build it's not you know the building technology marketplaces like that it's it's expensive and you know when you then look at interest rates rising there's a, a perverse aspect to that and that it's great for savers but for those that are borrowing and for those that are starting up and, and ac getting access to seed capital um that becomes a bit of a challenge mm. uh, naturally because of course you know it, it's it's one that liquidity is tightening um so then the opportunity comes back in the direct lending where you see angel investors and, and others that will probably again um fill that gap that's there within the within the market um so with every change there's an opportunity and yeah. we've seen constant change throughout the years and and not least just constant change through regulatory frameworks changing or consumer behavior changing or advisor behavior changing with you know various different prompts but then all of us have then endured some pretty big events not least in terms of the credit crisis brexit and then very recently the pandemic and, and i think all of those things in different ways and to an extent the pandemic um very much so has made people reflect and think on a social conscience around you know the purpose behind their jobs their roles their you know their lives um and i think we're starting to now see more coming out on esg and starting yeah. to see, see that that push now um which is which is right and, and it should be there um, and, and you get that authenticity as, as a result of that. And what are, I mean, now we are where we are now, we, we, you know, we're coming out of the, the, the pandemic, um, you know, the markets are constantly changing and shifting, we're seeing what's happening with, with inflation and interest rates, and what are, the, what are the kind of key issues and problems that advisors and savers are talking to you about right now, and, and how do you, you know, how can you help fix those problems? I think the biggest problem that we see for people is time and scarcity of time. I think everybody has so much on their workloads. And of course, you know, this is the balance in the aftermath of the pandemic of people thinking about four day weeks and work from home to, in order to try to get that wellness balance. So I think the time is a, a real problem for people. And naturally, if you're multi-banking, then you have to have time to be able to understand what each bank requires in terms of the onboarding for each customer to verify who they are, to validate the source of wealth of the monies. Um, and every bank does that slightly differently. It would be fantastic if everybody interpreted the regulation in the same way, but everybody does it in a slightly different way. Everybody has a different chief risk officer that is wanting to do things in their way. And naturally, as a result of that, it means that from a customer's perspective, and in turn, from an advisor's perspective, trying to help their clients, it's quite a challenge to be able to do that because it's not fast. Mm 
Yeah. It's not easy to just be able to say, okay, well, we'll open these five accounts for you when you don't do it day in, day out. And therefore, you don't get the economies of scale of the knowledge that's there from knowing what Showgroup Bank needs for onboarding, knowing what Oak North Bank needs and, and so on. Um, so we find that the time aspect is a real problem for people. Um, we also find that the fact that there are differences across the different banks um, for onboarding, for the way in which the products are designed um, and the way in which they mature, that seems to cause confusion. So some banks will automatically roll monies back over onto a fixed term if you don't notify to say you want your money back. Um, you know, some customers and some advisors get confused around notice products, mm -hmm. thinking that they can place immediate notice and have a loss of interest to get access to the monies. Not every product allows that. Sometimes you've got to serve the notice period. So we see confusion that comes through in terms of the different terms that are there within the, the you know, we've got over five and a half thousand products um, within the savings market. We've got the, the largest data set in the UK. And each of those five and a half thousand products has a different, um, you know, nuance to it. So, so being able to make sure that that's translated for people um, adds a huge amount of value. Mm. Um, and I think also we see advisors wanting to make sure that that you know in today's day and age that they're truly offering something that is independent, that is whole of market, that they feel authentic when they're speaking to their customers, that they fully believe in what they're saying to their customers. So it's not, it's not a sale. You know, this is, this is a, a genuine belief that this is the best thing for you. And here's why yeah. um, I'm wanting to be able to validate that. Um, is is something that that we see through and and that's starting to feed through in terms of the technology platforms as well because a number of the technology platforms are building in very modular ways where you can plug things in and out and and that's also in response to advisor propositions doing the same you know advisors are approaching a, a, a portfolio in a holistic way so every asset class is included which gives them you know greater oversight to have better um, advice and to make sure that it's more appropriate and, and very much suitable for what the end customer is trying to achieve um, and being able to plug in experts across that holistic approach so cascade on the cash management piece and yourselves in terms of making sure that you've got you know the transparency of that information and making sure that that you're able to validate and justify why you've done what you've done you know and then you've got others within the marketplace for being able to get you know the best access to EIS funds and the best access to um you know whatever it might be um you know and, and I think those those modular approaches for for advisors is is um, something that will help for them to to try to ease that time burden um you know and in the the words of kind of tony robbins play to your strengths so that so that the advisor plays to to his or her strength which is to to make sure that you're there to to translate the market and and really help that end customer get the best outcomes fantastic and with you know you're right on that whole it's, it's kind of wanting to achieve that consistency, but at the, at the same time being able to be flexible with the different clients they're dealing with, with their business, so that they can flex their proposition as things change and as markets change and as regulation changes. It is that kind of best of breed approach that we're certainly seeing from a technology perspective um, as well. And, and what, um, 
what are the kind of considerations for you know advisors coming to you what what are the considerations they need to give around this this kind of this whole area what should they be thinking about if they're not already thinking about you know their cash management proposition Absolutely. So, so within the savings aspect, um, given that cash rates are rising, it's something that making the cash work harder for end customers can have a significant compound impact on the overall returns. Um, to give a context around some of the rates that are rising, you know, around about a year ago, we were looking at 0.7% on an instant access account. Um, today, where you know that's stepped up to um, around 1.5%, with the likes of Chase Bank and others coming into the market on the one year terms uh, a year ago we were looking at one percent for a, a personal saver um earlier this year that stepped up to 1.41 percent in january um and as of this morning it's 2.55 percent mm. so you're starting to see rates um, materially changing and the greater the the rate and the speed with which interest rates rise the greater the need to shop around because the big banks won't pass those rate changes on. So the, the greater the opportunity cost of any cash remaining lazy. Now, if you're moving somebody from a Barclays account um, at 0.01% and you're putting them into something that is going to get them kind of, you know, 2.55%, um, then that net uplift is fantastic because what I view that as is free money. Yeah. I view that as something that the end user is supplying their money to a bank. All of the banks in our data set are regulated. So in supplying that money to a bank, whether it's it's Barclays, Aldermore, Orknoth, whoever it is, the end user should be wanting to get the greatest return than they can from supplying that money. Mm. So when an advisor is then thinking about how to get the best out of interest rates and out of savings, there's an aspect of A, trying to do it themselves, and it's it's very time-consuming to do that in that there's over 300 providers authorised and regulated to accept deposits in the UK market. There's over 5,500 products that are there. They vary from instant access through to five years. They also vary in terms of nuances around whether they have bonus rates. Um, the minimums and the maximums of the, the interest that is applied for the, the balances, um, who the providers are, how those accounts are opened. Um, a number of the building societies still open accounts in the post and still deliver passbooks um, with stamps. Um, so, you know, being able to navigate, navigate all those nuances um, is very, very time consuming to do directly yourself. So, so then the advisor has the choice to then think about using a cash management firm. And within this space, really, the cash management space is split into two. Um, the vast majority of cash management firms will use a hub account approach whereby the end savers money transfers to them. That money is then placed into a designated account with the cash management company. And the cash management company will be working for the banks in order to raise capital for the banks um, and to do so in a, in a cheap and an efficient way. Um, so the, the cash management firm will have a panel of providers. And they will have a couple of products per those panel of providers, um, and that will give a, a, a degree of choice. Um, and it will also save some of the time for the advisor and the, the end client. 
So what you get with those firms is you get a um, ease of administration. You can onboard with the, the third party cash management company. You can open up the account and you get a, a better choice than what you've got um, you know, before you start that journey. The impact that you get will depend upon the size of the panel of that third party provider and the products that they are offering, um, which in turn will depend upon what their panel of banks are wanting to raise at any one point in time. On the other side of the market, which is where we sit, um, we do things directly. So we don't do things whereby a client's end money comes to us and then goes in our name to the end providers. Instead, we open up accounts directly in the end user's name. So they have direct legal relationships. They are listed on the balance sheet of the banks and the building societies as a legal customer, which means that in the unlikely but possible event that one of the banks may fail, the end user is going to get their money back in the quickest way possible mm -hmm. under the financial services compensation scheme because they are listed as a direct customer. And on top of that, the end user also, as well as the advisor, doesn't face any liquidity risk with us because we don't hold the money on a designated basis. So if we weren't here and the money was held in a hub account, then the end user would have to wait for an administrator or somebody to go through the designated client account for us to get our monies back. When we set Cascade up back in 2012 as advisors, we didn't like that in that cash tends to be a very conservative part of a client's portfolio. Um, we tend to find that people like to, in the psychology back to the PhD around how we make decisions and, and the way in which we make those decisions. Um, we tend to find that people make decisions in a different way thinking about the cash as they do thinking about you know, their investment portfolio. They tend to want to make sure that the cash is there for safekeeping, for uncertainty. And um, particularly on a corporate aspect, you get a number of corporates that are sat in huge amounts of cash because they don't want to have to rely upon a bank. Um, you know, if we have um, a, a pandemic situation, as an example, and mm. um, so corporate cash balances are at record highs, household cash balances are at record highs, um, which is in part due to um, you know, the, the uncertainty that's been there. So we set up to do things directly to make sure that people have that peace of mind, that they have the direct legal relationships with the providers. But um, the knock on impact of that is that they get access to every single bank and building society, which means they have access to every single savings products on offer. And in turn, that means that they get the best returns, the best deposit protection. And very much like you've just said, that can then be tailored to their bespoke requirements and their bespoke needs. Mm. So instead of it being a one size fits all, you can get the best choice from one of 10 products. Um, and those 10 products come from, you know, six, seven providers. Um, with Cascade, you're getting access to um, very much a go compare for savings, the entire market, the best rates in the market the best um, spread of accounts, the best choice, and you can tailor that to as many or as little accounts as you want. So we've got customers that have one account with us, which from an administration perspective is easy peasy. You're opening one account and you are funding one account. Um, and then we've got clients that have 97 accounts. 
in wow. um, you know we we don't mind any which way we will deliver exactly what the client and their professional advisors think is the best thing for them we're not paid by any one banks um we're not paid by any bank in the the process we're not paid by any building society we are paid by our end users um our customers very much rdr setup um and and it's very transparent as a result of that um so so we make sure that you know we work for the customers and we're agnostic around where that money goes to what matters to us is that people have peace of mind their money is working as hard as they can and that opportunity cost of not shopping around is minimized as much as possible mm. and that's exactly what we see you know clients are buying from their advisors it's peace of mind ultimately that's that's what the real value is so to have that with their their, their cash savings as well as their investment portfolio is exactly what what I'm sure they're looking for certainly would be for me as well so I'm just conscious we're sort of getting getting on towards the end of our time so what's what's next for Cascade Cash Management what what's your next innovation how are you kind of innovating now and kind of into the future what are what's next on that entrepreneurial journey for you yes. Um, so we are not short of ideas. We keep having to, to control ourselves with the ideas that we have. But what we're looking at at the moment is we want to continue to support as many customers and professional advisors as we can. We think it's a fantastic environment with which we can grow our customer numbers. Um, you know, with interest rates rising, it's a, it's a great one for us to now really thrive. Um, what we want to do is we want to now look at the design of savings products and to see around the launch of those products with the providers in the market that are in the market for something like that um, and are in the market to offer the best rates. So we're, we're designing a few products at the moment. We've got a, a tax service that is launching. So, you know, if, if people have money set aside to pay a tax bill, um, we have launched a, a service that will get people the very best interest rates for that cash that can be as diversified as the end client wants. Um, and then the monies will be automatically returned back to their current account um, so that they can pay their tax bill. Um, you know, things like that are, are just innovations that enable people to get that cash working harder. Um, so it stops being lazy, but it's also very convenient and easy yeah. to do. So, so for us, the, the next stage for us is to continue to, you know, work on a deeper level with our customers, with our advisors, and to listen more around what gaps they see, um, things like the tax product, things like first-time homeowners, um, children's savings products. And we're designing a number of products at the moment and, and we're speaking to a number of providers, and particularly on the ESG side. Um, we've had a number of providers reaching out to us as well on the other side to see around the launch of ESG products. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you've got the likes of Gatehouse Bank that have the Woodland Saver um, and other banks that are, are leading the way in this regard, where, you know, some of the banks are, are planting trees when the deposit is made and, and, and so on. Um, so very much green savings is on the agenda. And we've got, you know, some some really great uh, conversations taking place with a number of banks around, you know, designing products that, that meet their needs. So for us, it's around uh, continuing continuing to, to evolve and continuing to, to deliver products in, um, you know, evolve the platform in a way that that continues to, to build the end users outcomes um, and, and helps advisors to do that in a really time efficient way. Fantastic. Really, really interesting. I'd love to talk to you in 2032 and see what see what that how that journey's changed when we get there. It'd be fascinating. Um, so look, before we finish, just tell us how can people find you? How can they get in touch with you if they're interested in, in hearing more about what you can offer? What's the what's the best place for them to go? 
Yes, please do. So um, follow us on our LinkedIn page, Cascade Cash Management. Um, our website is cascade.co.uk. Um, and we are also on Twitter, Cascade Cash. Our savings hotline number is 0800 Um, So if anybody wants to get any savings advice um, or wants to see what they can get, um, we offer free illustrations and the, the team will be delighted to send those over. So do get in touch. Fantastic. Emma, it's been an absolute delight to talk to you today. Thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast. And uh, hopefully for our listeners out there, it's been as insightful as it has for me. So thank you so much. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you for having me. The Advisor Tech Unplugged podcast was brought to you by the team at Money Info. For more information, please visit www.moneyinfo.com. Book a discovery call with us to learn how we can help you to deliver a better client experience with your own branded client portal and apps from Apple and Android.